to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. Well, good morning. And I know some of you may be like me in mourning. Um, this is that dreaded day of uh, daylight savings time. And I know there's probably some of you that have uh, been influenced by the devil and uh, enjoy this like my wife. And so um, in the name of Jesus, we can cast out that, the, the demonic darkness loving. And I'm joking. Uh, Jamie thinks that this is where uh, you, know, you get this one hour extra sleep, and she acts like that that one hour is going to spread for the next like six months or something, and I'm, I get sad when it's 4.30 and dark out. And so uh, um, it is a, I guess it makes sense to some people, and so uh, maybe we can get to the point where we just kind of leave it, but um, that is today. But it was a beautiful morning, um, beautiful time this morning, so um, as we're ter- looking in um, Philippians, we're going to finish up here in the next uh, three or four weeks before we get into Advent season. So um, we uh, reserve uh, the, the weeks of December for just focusing on um, His coming, both His first coming and His second coming, and what we're looking forward to. And um, we will um, get into that as soon as we um, finish up Philippians. So we've got, um, I think, three or four weeks left of that. But if you want to open your Bibles or turn your devices to um, uh, Philippians 3, and we're going to go 10 through 17. I know the front slide says 16, but I'm, I'm combining 17 there. Um, so if you remember from last week, Paul had just spent some time showing that um, all of his accolades, all of his um, impressive list of um, his own Jewish heritage, his family, his um, um, bloodline was so pure in, in the Jewish and Hebrew system. And then also he had moved up to be one of the Pharisees of Pharisees. He's one of the, the, the greatest as far as the law keepers of Mosaic law. But then he surprised them and kind of sh- shocked the crowd by saying, and all of that is, is nothing compared to knowing Christ, to, um, compared to the, the richness, to the beauty of, of loving Christ and being found in him. And so um, he, and he shows that um, forgiveness from God is a righteousness from God that we need, and it's granted us through Christ, and it's not a righteousness that we attain, whether whether that's through our good works, through whether that's through our um, our morals or our law keeping or any of those things. We can't earn salvation, and we can't earn righteousness. And so I put a slide up there at the end, but this is a confusing part. In fact, Jamie, this morning she she was kind of laughing about something, and it was about one of the uh, influencers. Uh, so some influencer, and she you know she wasn't following them or anything, but this this person had said. Um, uh, uh, I can't believe that people still try to force on us this idea of indwelling sin. We don't have indwelling sin, is what this influencer was saying. We are the righteousness of Christ. And so they're, they're, they have an eschatological misunderstanding. They are applying future eschatological, like meaning end time, um, um, realities to present times. So it is true. We have the righteousness of Christ. It's imputed to us. But you don't want to be the one saying that I never sin, right? And that's, that's sin inside you. And so um, I, I had that slide up there just because some people don't understand. We, we do, so the, obviously the forgiveness of Christ is, is what we have to have. That's atonement. 
And so up there, so every single person, billions of, you know, millions and millions of sins, we, we need someone to take us up to a, a zero balance. And that's what that first line is. So the cross does that. The death of Christ accomplished that. Man's state of sinful depravity uh, was earning eternal death, right? And so we needed forgiveness to take us up to a zero balance. But you can't, you can't live in heaven with a zero balance, if you're thinking in those type terms, we need the righteousness of God in his holy abode, right? And so if you, if you want to take a, a beautiful picture of what's God doing with Adam and Eve, here it is. It's all yours. Just don't do that over there. But, but me and you together, this is what we want. Unity. I'm your God. You are my people. Multiply and fill the earth. Multiply and fill the This is so wonderful. Oh, why did you do that? Why did you? And now from that, that point on, since that time, God has been pursuing what? I want my people to be in my abode, my heaven, worshiping me, me being their God, them enjoying me, loving me, because I love them. I'm trying to only do good for you. And so that, that righteousness, that holiness that we will live in was what Jesus provided, not in his death, but in his life. Jesus came, and so Advent, we celebrate the life he lived, perfect obedience. So we need both Jesus' forgiveness and atonement that he provided on the cross, but we also need the credit cards in heaven of righteousness. And if you think through, how am I not going to sin in heaven after a thousand years or 10,000 years? Um, it's because it's being completely accredited to you, Christ's righteousness. God's righteousness is given to you. So we needed that. We needed Jesus' life. For that. And so just, just so you'll have an understanding there. So he, he brought us up to a zero balance if you say, I accept your forgiveness. But I also need some currency to live in a holy um, heaven for all eternity. And that's how we won't sin. Is, is that not beautiful? That he, that, and he, he's, he's giving us that. And you think, well, how does that all work? Well, like, like, a, like a father or a mother gives to their child. Do they ever want evil? I mean, there's some deranged people that do. But you would only want good. You're a little bit cold here. Take this. You want some food? Here, here's this. You need something for that? Here, I, I'm trying to provide all that. That's even us with a fallen heart, right? What about God's infinite, perfect, holy, and, and loving standard? All he wants, and he's providing that. Um, and so that, that's just a, a clarity that we need Jesus for forgiveness. We also know Je we need Jesus, his righteousness applied to us. And so just wanted to help with that because there's a lot of confusing stuff out there. Um, so Paul presents this section after he said, I, 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 it's not about my own righteousness. It's not about my works, how good I've done or my family heritage. It's only about Christ. And, and therefore he says, this is why he's everything to me. And so this presents, uh, this section presents what he lives for. His whole identity is found in Christ. His end-all goal, his ultimate prize, is Jesus Christ, as well as his um, intentional and purposeful striving. So Christ is the goal that he's going for, and that motivates him to, because of how great Christ is and his worth, worth and glory, then that motivates him. So it's not, I do things so I can get to God, or I do things to impress him. No, because of my love for him, I want to do these things. Um, I've had, man, I've had, I've heard Matt Chandler talk about this two or three times when he was, uh, before he got married, you know, like typical guys, you know, towels on the floor after shower, underwear and clothes, socks just all over. And, and he said, you know, those first few months of, uh, I see some wives looking around and giving some elbows. And so, uh, and so in that, uh, they, she, he said that, you know, after he, he, he would, his wife would come and say like, Hey, Hey, Matt, come here, hon, come in here. And, and she'd walk in the bathroom and go, Hey, um, what's this? And he, you know, he would say like, she's not real dumb. So she knew that was a towel 
But I was the dumb one, like, this is the 10th time. We've been married 10 days now. Why is the towel still on the floor? Like, how does that get put up? You know, why are these, what's this here? Are these socks? Is there not a place? Hey, two-year-old, is not a place where these socks go? And so he said he he had to change. So transformation had to happen to where he, he was going, oh, because I love her, I started picking up the towels and picking up the socks. I didn't pick up socks and pick up towels to prove my love to her or to earn her love. She already loved me, but she was going, hey, idiot, pick up your towels. You're you're a 25-year-old man. Pick up your stuff, right? And so um, that's a picture there of, hey, you don't do these things to earn it. It's because of the love that's already there. You want to show them love in doing those things. Um, So um, that's what Paul's saying there. Last week we read this, and this is we're not covering this, but these two parts go together, but there's so much in 8 through 11 um, that I wanted to break that up. So in verse 8 he said, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as trash, as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So that, that's my goal. That's my goal. And, and it doesn't happen by me doing stuff. So then he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So it's not our works. It's not our family heritage. It's not our morals. It's not our, not more knowledge points, right? And so then this week we get into the second half of that. And I want to divide it up because it's a lot in there. It's basically one of the clearest sections. Even through Romans, uh, this section, even if, with Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, there's a section of Colossians that is very Christocentric like this. And one say, a, little, a few verses in uh, Ephesians. But this is one of the most beautiful pictures of Paul saying, this is what I live for. And this is why I live this way. And it's not based on my own goodness. And man, our American church needs to hear that. If we ever need a time where, man, Jesus alone and his his cross his life all of that that's what we need it's not on your works it's not on how good you're doing but it's it's that and that essentially and so let's read philippians 3 8 through 17 so remember we're not covering 8 through um uh, 10 today we're, we're, we're or 8 through 9 we've already covered those but he says um indeed i count everything is lost because of their surpassing worth of knowing christ my lord For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Father, we pray that you would um, now come and give us understanding of the beauty of these scriptures flowing out of the greatness of the Trinity. 
um, what, what the Father has planned, what the, the Son has accomplished, and what the Spirit has applied, and what, what the, the Godhead has made available to us, to where we won't be uh, just trying to manage our sin, or we won't be ignoring our sin, uh, but that we would be learning to go to the Spirit, that there is grace available. Um, it's not um, based upon our own works, but grace from you that can help us to mortify sin and, and to cultivate humility and love for you. So we pray that you'd help us in that and help us to see what Paul's um, living for and how he's doing that. In your name we pray, amen. Um, so Paul is, again, showing them that, that knowing him is the end-all goal. So I just asked you last week, I said, hey, what, what captivates you? What is it that really captivates your soul? So I asked you this week to think through for yourself and then and think through for others. You can, you can get into some questions about uh, with people around you that, that maybe think they're Christians or people who are just proudly non-Christian. Um, but to ask, what does it mean knowing Christ? What does that mean knowing Christ? And you can think of very quickly a, a whole bunch of answers that people say, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I got saved at False Creek. I, I asked Jesus into my heart. Hey, so what does that mean? So just go further. So it's a great question that you can ask, but it's also for us to think through. Um, what, what does it mean knowing him? Um, this current time period, well, let me back up. Um, knowing Christ for Paul comes in three different things that we want to clarify. First, first, it's truth, but then it's also participation and experience. And we'll, we'll show you what I mean by that. Um, this current time period is becoming labeled as an experience-seeking generation. Uh, and not just the younger millennials and Gen Z, um, definitely those, but across generations, all the way from traditionalists to boomers to Xers to millennials to Gen Z. Um, and what I mean by that is experience-seeking is um, instead of a gift that comes in a box, people are giving experiences. Let us buy this for you. Because it used to be you know, like, hey, here's this box. It's, in a, it's a toy in a box. You open it up. Oh, that's it. It's, it's whatever uh, like that. But now people are giving experiences. Uh, and that's what they're wanting as gifts. Um, so it, it, it could be a trip. It could be exposure or something. Uh, marketing of products is focused not so much on the product's features, but instead the experience those features deliver to your life. Um, so if you've noticed, even just like the new iPhone, like they just decided, hey, let's make it out of a different, different composite, titanium. They're acting like literally they've, they've reached out into the universe from this commercial and, and brought in this core element of titanium. And now all of us get titanium phones. So, you know, they have those. And then they show experience of people like doing all this stuff that I, I just like go, if, if that's what having fun is, I guess I'm, I don't know what fun is. And so, um, it, you know, just people like going around standing in fields, taking pictures. Of, but what do they show? They show just this one you know, picture of this. And like, if you get this thing, life is going to be like this. That's what they're marketing. This phone is changing everything in your life. And like, it's not, you know, it's, it's not as good as fried chicken. So it's like, uh, it, it's not this huge, huge ordeal. And so um, they, they, they market the idea of the experience um, and we buy it. We, we like that. Um, take notice of different ads on that. It spills over into our spirituality, our, our religious areas also. Churches, and websites and in worship often want to show or even sometimes sell um, the type of experience that they provide. So if you go to church websites or ministries, the, the, what they're showing is that they don't have a lot of content about what they believe or the things that they, they hold true or the things that they teach. It's just this picture of this experience. You're like, well, this is greater than, you know, uh, uh, God forbid, the Taylor Swift concert. Like they're competing with Taylor Swift concerts. Like what, what church wouldn't want to do that, right? And so... Um, 
a cautioned weakness with that. And, and that doesn't mean that that's evil. It doesn't mean that if we have lights and, and, and a nicer setting and, and you know, eight people on the stage, that, that's not all evil, but you can go too far with this is what I'm saying. That's not, it doesn't mean any of those that have those is, is evil. I mean, hey, the, all those places, it blows me away when I found out like at our former church, and that's a small, that's a small one, uh, like hundreds of thousands of dollars for those, those lights and the things and the, the projectors and different things. And, and then there's churches in town, two, three, four, five million dollars. So yeah, we spent five million on that stage and those lights. Let's put that as our, you know, like we, we put that much money, put that as our first scene on the website. So I, it's understandable. Not that I agree with that, but I'm saying it's not all evil. But a caution weakness with this is seeking experiences, particularly spiritual experiences with mystical ideas of Jesus that manufactures and stirs up feelings and emotions that's lacking biblical truth. So remember, we're connecting this idea, Paul, to know Christ. That's it for me, to know Christ. All this other stuff, rubbish compared to me knowing Christ. Well, we're in a particular time period and in a place in the Bible Belt where being a Christian, knowing Jesus, has a thousand different meanings. And, and, and it's got away from a biblical understanding. So you're going to be surrounded with people who don't know what does it mean knowing Jesus here. And so a lot of times, again, experiences and mystical ideas. I have people all the time when they find out I'm a pastor, they'll just like, oh gosh, just Tuesday. Jesus, I woke up that morning and Jesus was telling me, you've got to go do this. And I was like, man, I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Jesus never shows up in the first 10 minutes. Uh, in, in my bedroom and tells me, here's what's going to happen this week, or here's what, and maybe you guys, that's going on with you guys, but like I'm a pitiful Christian because he just doesn't do that. And they tell me all these things that Jesus tells them or God spoke to them. And so um, we, we've got to think through these mystical experiences um, on, on one side. So uh, there, that's one side of the extreme, mystical, and then also this idea of speculating, what I call uh, speculating on God. Um, here's what I think God is like. Instead of the scriptures telling me that, I'm, I'm speculating. And, and what we do, we don't realize, we create God in a likely image of what I would want him to be like instead of the biblical God. So that's on one end. Uh, so people speculating, mystical, all kinds of things. Um, um, on the other side, so in response to that, churches that are more like Bible-oriented, um, they are on kind of a knee-jerk reaction and, and fearful of that. Um, they're trying to protect biblical truth. They go to the other extreme of being very fearful and skeptical and suspicious and even immediately resistant to anything that includes any kind of emotion or fear, uh, any kind of emotion or feelings oriented. So if people are doing anything more than this while they're singing worship songs, if someone raises their hand or people are you know, kind of swaying back and forth or dancing, like that, it's like that has to be evil. That's all feelings oriented, no truth. Well, it may be full of truth. And so what we want to do is we want to, God is a God of emotions. God is a God of full emotions, beautiful emotions and feelings. We don't want to put God as this staunch, angry, bearded thing, just like, I can't believe those Christians are having fun. I can't believe they're, that's not God. And so, um, so there's some beautiful scriptures that talk about the emotions of God, the feelings of God. But our feelings of worship towards God need to be a response out of truth. Not me, close my mind, I think God would like this. And so that just makes me, or, or songs. So that's why I worship songs. Um, sometimes th it's all about me, 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 or what God's going to give me, 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 and, and that's not necessarily biblical. And so it's just feelings and feelings, and it feels great. Music is powerful in that way. 
And so we want to make sure that our feelings and emotions are, are, are high, but they're, they're from um, the truth of God's word. So your truth dictates feelings instead of, I feel like God's like this, therefore he is. No, that's not it. So we want to flip that. No, therefore, I mean, God is like this from the Bible, therefore that makes me amazing. That's what Paul's saying here. Um, so he goes into this idea of knowing uh, Jesus with truth and participation and experience. He's not afraid of those things. Um, his knowing him is helpful both now in this life and a future hope. And what I mean by that is um, some people have in, kind of misinterpreted when he brings up resurrection, the power of the resurrection immediately. He's talking about that power of resurrection, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in my life before I go to heaven. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, God the, the Father, the Trinity's power, raised him from the dead, is working in my life now. You're facing temptation and sin. You don't have to. Why? Because of the cross. You're, you're, you're free from that, right? I, I don't usually think about that, but there's power from the Spirit to help you defeat sin and, and not go with what your friends are trying to influence you or what your heart is wanting to do at this moment that you know sin. Uh, you don't have to sin. There's grace on the front hand from the Trinity. And so the power of the resurrection that Paul's talking about here and, and participating for him even in suffering. And the Philippian church had gone through suffering also. And so when we go into this, he says, uh, uh, the first thing is just this idea of truth, um, that I may know him. So that has to be, when we think about truth, uh, when we think about knowing him, it has to be a life-altering change where a person is renewed by the Holy Spirit. So that's the first step, salvation. There has to be a life-altering change um, where the truth of the gospel has broken open over this person, over their soul, over their conscience. No person will be saved without the truth of the gospel breaking over them and their response to that truth being that of repentance and faith. So your friends, yeah, hey, what does knowing, knowing Jesus look like to you? Uh, I prayed, prayed a prayer at False Creek. Okay, cool. What, what does that mean though? And getting them to think through faith and repentance. Was there a starting point? An initial time when you, what did that look like? What, what, was there a time when the gospel made sense to you? Another question that can go along with that, you can just say, like, hey, if I were to say the word the gospel, what, what does that mean to you? Are they, are they able to um, share with you what, what, what the gospel is and what the gospel has done and what the gospel um, is doing? And what I mean with that, you know, so like you could, you could take it real simple, just like uh, God, man, Christ response. You could go, God is holy and perfect and wonderful and beautiful and all those things. Man is sinful. Now, not, not, not every single thing that we do, not completely sinfully depraved, but we're, we are sinfully depraved to where a lot of times we have sinful hearts, sinful attitudes, and sinful actions. So God is holy, man sinful, we got a problem. What's the answer to that? Christ. Christ is our answer for that. And then um, you must respond now. Um, so what does is, what is knowing him look like? Do they have an understanding of the gospel? And Paul's making that clear. And so um, and he says the power, and so the, the next part of this, uh, part of um, knowing Jesus is, is also the power of his resurrection. And, and immediately our thoughts go to, oh, so Paul's talking about when we resurrect from the grave. He's not. He's, he's doing the power, the same power of the resurrection is also helping me sharing in his sufferings. So he's talking about that. He's going to talk about resurrection in just a second. But he's talking about the power of the resurrection is helping me in my present life. These circumstances, sitting in prison, right in this, do you go through the, all these sufferings, all these trials, that power, that's what's bringing me joy right now. That, that's what's sustaining me in this life. Uh, the, and the word there, participation is of sharing, there's koinonia. 
Um, remember, Paul is concerned about the unity and the sufferings that they had gone through. And he wants to show them their need for unity in the midst of suffering, like he's going through. It, actually, God will bring, the key to that is God bringing their union with Christ together, and there's a power from God to help them in those difficult times and to help them with their community. Um, it's tied to the power of his resurrection. So our union with Christ and our union with one another, Paul is saying, my first my identity with Christ is everything. And then he moves to this next section where he's talking about, I'm, therefore, because of that, my striving and straining towards him, so my active participation, is what gets us to the point of a Christ-exalted community to where uh, people around me are living the same way that we are. And he says, imitate me that. So um, when he says uh, the power of his resurrection and the way we may share in his sufferings, this participation in God's power, it's a participation in his suffering. So the person who is abiding with Jesus, so let's look at this word abiding, will know, have knowledge, and participate and will experience more of Christ than the person who's not abiding. So this is how people get to the point of wondering if I'm truly a Christian. You go through some things, and you start going through sufferings or going through difficult times, and you begin to wonder, why is this happening? Why, if, if I'm following God, I'm trying to be obedient, and bad things are hitting my life, why is this happening? And Paul's going, it may be because of your union with Christ that these bad things are happening. Is there a community around that's also suffering, going through difficult things? It may be your union with Christ that's causing some of this. But what we tend to do is we kind of get off and we, we begin to wonder, uh, where is God? Why is God not doing this? And, and so he's wanting to know if you're abiding with Christ, it's powerful. So uh, this week I was listening to this song. So you guys may have seen this guy. Um, um, his name's Jelly Roll. So I didn't know a whole lot about him. Um, so... Um, what, so I didn't know who this guy was. I've seen the picture of the guy, and I, I, I you know, didn't know where he was coming from. But here, here's what got me. I'm driving down the road. I left Metro. I'm driving, and here's the words of this song. And we need to pray for Jolly Roll. Like he, his heart's in a rough place. And so all of his songs are like this. But here, here's the lyrics. I only talk to God when I need a, need a favor, and I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. And I was like, man, this is American Christianity. I only talk to God when I need a favor. And I, man, the way I live, you know, man, I, I don't even have a prayer really. His next sentence, so who the blank am I, who the blank am I to expect a Savior? So why would, you know, I know how I've been living. Why would God even let me do this? So do you see? Earning, earning, earning. Hadn't lived good enough, right? Um, if I only talk to God when I need a favor, but man, God, I need a favor. So you see how they like, like, hey, I know I couldn't have ever earned it and everything, or, I, or I'm trying to earn it. I know I'm, I'm failing even at that, but will you still throw me a bone? Will you still give me a little blessing? So the next one is, I know amazing grace, but I ain't been living them words. Can you live out grace? Is that like, so, so it's an unearned favor, something that's been granted to you. And he's going like, I know amazing grace. No, you must not understand amazing grace because you're, you're, you can't earn it. You can't live it out. Swear I spend most Sundays drunk off my rear than I have in church. Because everyone knows going to church is what makes you all right with God. Hardcover King James, only been saving dust on the nightstand. And I don't know what to say by the time I fold my hands. So I use Jelly Roll because it probably will stick with you, right? Um, he has this cross on his face. Doesn't look like it's a really highly paid tattoo. Looks like he may have done it with someone that's a little inebriated or maybe in an alley somewhere. But he has this cross on his face. 
Um, and so, so that's a great picture. Externally, I want you to know I'm this person that, that, man, I'm all about God, this cross, but it means nothing. And so then if you just click and, and you, when you pull up something about Jelly Roll, like he, he just lives out of control. Like all his songs are about just complete drugs, drunkenness, and just, just crazy inebriation and also just licentious living. But all these words about, uh, but you know, God, may, maybe one day we'll have, be able to sit down and have this conversation where we can sit back with a cup of tequila and, and talk about how life was. And then maybe you'll probably let me in. Like that's the mindset. And that... Now, they may not look like Jelly Roll. They might not put the words out there, but that's what people are, are thinking around us. Is that I'm just a good old boy? God understands. I, I made some mistakes. Sure, God, you know, if you want to judge me, sure. But really, I'm a pretty good-hearted person. Good old boy. And let's talk about that so I can get into heaven. That's what we're facing. That's what people inside the church or outside the church think. Knowing Jesus is not the same as knowing God exists. I put a cross on my face because I, I know God's out there, but it has no connection to the way I live. So there's no transformation. There's no knowing Jesus. And I'm not trying to make a big deal about knowing this jelly roll. It broke my heart hearing his lyrics. And so I'm not trying to just judge him or make take a shot. Definitely, we need to pray for him. When you read some of his stuff, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's miserable, miserable. Knowing Jesus is not the same as knowing bullet points about Jesus. That I know there's a baby Jesus. I know he died on the cross. Knowing Jesus is not the same as praying a one-time prayer. Um, so J.D. Greer says this, over 50% of people in America have prayed a sinner's prayer, and due to that, they think that they're going to heaven. Over 50% of Americans have prayed a sinner's prayer and think they're going to heaven. Um, but a great majority of those 50%, they never saw a life change. They do not worship Jesus. They, they do not know the difference between a self-help gospel based on feelings. Man, I need to feel better. I just, I'm just miserable. I'm miserable. Well, you... you you can have some ideas, speculate about God, and then, oh man, God's just going to bless me, God's going to bless me, God's going to bless me, God's going to bless me. Remember our, our little graph there, you haven't dealt with your sins yet. You've got an idea, a speculation about God, about because you're wanting your feelings better, but you haven't dealt with sins yet. And now it's a self-help gospel, so you need to come to Jesus because he'll make your life better. Oh, okay. Just pray this prayer. Come to Jesus and your life will get better. Come to Jesus, he's going to bless you financially. All your health problems are going to go away. All those things. The self-help gospel versus a true gospel. And so um, the mentality that surrounds us is, is dominant. So thinking through, do you know Christ? Are you participating with him and following him and abiding? Are you walking with Christ, striving to be obedient? Are you participating in fellowship with Christ? abiding with him, or do you only talk to God when you need a favor? A lot of times for, for teens, I know that's the difficulty is like you go to camps or you have this experience in church and you know, kind of your parents are kind of are guiding you this way and everything. And so a, sometimes it is God working in our lives. Sometimes it's wanting to please parents, wanting to please grandparents. Uh, we've been to places where when they have baptism, it would, like they had a huge party, like this equal to a birthday party. There's a cake and there's gifts and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles. And like what other kids sitting in that room, the other hundred kids are going like, is that what we get for baptism? I'm ready. Let, let, I'll be baptized. I'll be baptized does it hurt and and that's the idea and so we, we've got to show people what what knowing christ truly means are, are you uh, abiding with christ um do you only talk to god when you need a favor um when he talks about those two things he's talking about the power of his resurrection and participating in his sufferings 
Um, these are present life, not future state of our resurrection, because then we will know him face to face, because we won't need to participate in his sufferings when we're resurrected from the grave, right? So you see the difference there? So Paul's talking about in this present time, in this present world, there's suffering, there's difficulties you're going through. You need the power of God, the power of the resurrection for your life now. And, and even if you're participating in suffering with Christ, that the power of God is available to you. But then he, he begins to talk about becoming like him in death. Um, this all ties back to his earlier statement about live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Um, and scholars debate about what, what he meant by that, about the um, becoming like him in his death. We know that we cannot die for sins. We know Paul did not mean that he was going to die on the cross and, and atone for anything himself. So most people kind of agree that it's talking about this death in the same way Jesus died for sins, that in our present life, we are dying to sin. So if you, if you go look at Romans um, 5, 6, 7, um, it, it talks about that idea of during this lifetime, I don't want to sin, but I keep doing this. Uh, and uh, chapter six, looking at uh, death to sin, and then chapter eight, talking about mortifying sins, killing off sin through the Spirit. And so Paul has this picture of um, I want to become like him in his death, um, not meaning that I'm just wanting to die or I'm wanting to die on a cross. So the power of God is shown and demonstrated most clearly by the work of the Spirit, bringing a person to new life, salvation first. And then the ongoing work of the Spirit continuing to transform that believer into conformity of Christ. So now, now all of that, Paul's argument, and what did he just say? So remember how I said this section is packed full? So that picture of all that salvation, that what God has done, and what did he just say before this? That's completely different than you earning it. All that about what God has done, all those beautiful depths of, of salvation and righteousness, and all that's available through the Spirit, completely different and opposite of because I'm, I'm a Jew, because I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, because of how moral I am, because of how good I am. And so think about our, our, our list nowadays. What are we, the things, if we're trying to do these things to earn our way to God? Um, Paul is, is uh, clarifying a, a strict and exact contrast to trying to earn or experience the power of God based on our own ability. Um, and so all of that is knowing him, participating with him, experience him, experiencing him in this current situation in life. And then in, in, in verse 12, he says, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Um, now, people have said, man, does Paul feel like, we know Paul has a very robust understanding that the resurrection of the dead is going to happen. Is Paul doubting here that he um, is going to be one of the ones resurrected? Because he says, by any means possible, that I may attain. Now, all he's saying, because he goes into it immediately, is that, brothers, I'm not saying that I've already arrived. I'm not saying that I've already lived perfect. And that doesn't make sense to us, but... The Judaizers, the, the opponents, they were. They were preaching a message that you can live perfectly. Look at us. Look at me. I'm a Pharisee. I keep all the, the oral laws. I keep all the laws of the Mishnah. I keep all the Mosaic law. I, I'm a Jew. I've been circumcised. All these things. Why not you? What do you need to do to be like me? So they were teaching a perfectionism, and they were teaching a, a, a salvation, basically, in this lifetime. And Paul's saying, hey, brothers and sisters, I have not saying that I've already attained that, as opposed to them. I'm not saying that I am perfect. It's only Christ. It's only through his righteousness. Do you see how this is all flowing together? He's trying to show them the difference between the true gospel and truly walking with Christ versus what, what they're teaching. And so, um, and, and beautifully, the humility of Paul, not presuming. What's our big problem in America? presuming upon the fact that I prayed a prayer when I was 14 to Falls Creek and I'm 66 
And I never went to church. I, I, I treated my wife horribly, treated my kids horribly, had affairs, um, did, I was in all kinds of things and, and stole money from my company. Or, or maybe you're really, really, really moral and you were never changed. You never did any of those horrible things, and, but you never had your sins taken care of. And you're 65 years old. And at 14, you prayed a prayer. And, and Paul's saying here that all of those things, I don't presume upon that grace. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 7, which I wish uh, we just had shirts that just consider Matthew 7. Uh, many, many are going to come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? And I'm going to say, depart from me. And by the way, I haven't done any of the things, hardly, that, that he says these people are like, going to come and say to me. And like some of us are like, yeah, I haven't even done those things. Like, what little things are we doing? And so, and he's not doing a comparison there. He's just saying that there's people that are going to come with these religious acts and things that they think are supernatural. And that's, that's not the thing. And so Paul is not presuming upon that. So Paul's idea of knowledge, his end all goal of Jesus, is knowing Christ through truth and participation and experience. And so then when he gets to this, this, this idea of, uh, by any way it's possible, I may maintain, uh, attain the resurrection from the dead, it's a future hope. Um, this future hope is where he wants to make clear that it's not per- presenting the perfectionism. He's not saying I've already resurrected in life, but he says, uh, what I do want to do is I want to press on. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward, I press on toward the goal and the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, so when he says, I, I press on, it's a picture of a man with his hand to the plow. It's this, the word there for press on. In their culture, in agricultural society, the word that he used there was this picture of this guy with a plow. And if you remember there, in, um, in, do you remember in Luke 9? It's one of my favorite, Luke 9's uh, uh, one of my favorite sections, uh, the whole section itself. But then in Luke 9, you get to this one part at the back. And it's the butt lords is what I call them. It's, it's Luke chapter 9, but they're the butt lords because they're like, hey, Lord, I want to follow you, but Lord, I, I have to do this. I want to follow you. I want to go to heaven, but Lord, I want to do this. And so at 9, in chapter 9 of uh, Luke, um, he says um, in 51, when the day, days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to, towards Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. And so the people weren't receiving him. And so all this, these things are going on. And then uh, as they were going along the road, so this is when he's going to, towards Jerusalem. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have net, nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. I've got business to do. I've got, it's, it's a big deal. It took weeks to, to bury someone back then. It was a long ordeal. I've got really important family things to do that, that's honorable and respectable. And so Jesus is going, you're, you're missing it. It's huge separation there. Um, another said, Lord, um, Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as, as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me Say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow, same picture, and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And Paul says, I press on. Same picture that Jesus, the, I press on. And Jesus saying, no one who puts his hand to the plow and says, I'm going to do this, stops and turns back and looks back. And so he's going, I am pressing on. And so that's the type of following Christ and abiding. So it is all on grace. It's nothing you can do to earn it. It's nothing that you can do to make it to him. 
And yet Paul says, but be like me, striving and pressing on. I strain towards that goal. And the picture of straining there is either a weightlifter or a sprinter. They, they, they interpreted it because the games were real big, being in the Coliseums. And so that, that weightlifter, weightlifter for the, so there's some, some workout uh, regimens where you're just using one muscle group, right? Um, you're doing upper body, you're doing curls, you're doing legs alone. But then there's some, so like deadlift and different things. Um, that, that it uses every single muscle in your body to get that. So Brad, Brad does these huge uh, strong man competitions. Um, and so like, I think he's one or two in the state in this stuff. And you'd never know that, I mean, other than his size. And so, but like, there's certain things that he tells me, seven, 800 pounds. Like there's people who can lift cars when their baby's trapped under it. Brad can lift cars just because he wants to, you know? And like to strain every single muscle or that, that runner that is focused on that goal and, and not worried about these other people, just this goal, straining every single muscle towards them. Paul's saying, that's the way I live the Christian life. And so the point for that for us is to think through, this is, this is costly and difficult. Um, I think through people when your, your ter- kids turn 18 and they go off, and that, that's like, man, are they, are they going to do that? Or are they just going to go, hey, what, 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 all, what all is out there to be offered? And so thinking through for, for, from teens to adults, how am I living my life? Paul's saying, you need to be living this way. So this is this aspect of obedience. So when we talk about just it's just the gospel, and it's just grace, it does not lay aside obedience and an intense straining and focusing. Why? So you can be better than other people? No, because of the glory of Christ, because he's worth it. Uh, because of his, his greatness. So it's difficult in a time when the faith of many seems to have gone cold. So this is being intentional with your spiritual life. What effort and how much effort are you putting into your finances these days? And it's a mess. Our country's a mess. All kinds of things going on. It, it, it trickles down to people's personal finances, adjusting, modifying, uh, re-strategizing. What about your effort in your career, your job, the future there. A lot of people just you know, pouring their life into their career in a way where they're, they're not focused on other things. Uh, how, how much time are, and effort are you spending on your physical health, your physical body these days? How much effort and time are you exerting on entertainment or hobbies or, or fun? And all of those things, your, your physical body, hobbies, vacations, um, your career, your job, your, your home, um, your, your physical body, your, your finances, those are not evils at all. They're not evils. When they begin to be central, that's when it becomes evil. And that's not that they were evil themselves. It's that your heart made an idol out of that. They're not evil at all, these things that we're, that we're able to spend time on. But just think through, what effort are you putting into your spiritual life? And it's not an issue of time. So we, in, a, in, a, in a week, we've got you know, 168 hours. And you go, hey, thank you. I can't spend 40 hours um, in prayer and in the word, because I have to work 40 hours. It's not a, a quality that God's going, Hey, your, your time, you need, you spent 40 hours at work this week. You got to spend 40 hours in prayer in the word. 10,080 minutes with the boys. Sometimes I'll just remind them. So in, in a week's time, it's like, Oh, we got to go do this thing at church. And I'm like, Hey, we got 10,080 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes for the guy who died on the cross. Like, I mean, just where's your heart at, you know? Not that you're going to pay him back. Not that he's like, oh, oh, I'm so proud of you. Well, way to go 60 minutes. And you're doing so much better than the other people. But, but real, for the guy that, that 10 seconds into eternity, you're going to realize, man, it was worth much more. Um, 
It's not equal hours or minutes, but as you are working, as you are driving, as you are parenting, as you are socializing, as you are enjoying meals together, as you're um, enjoying games and, and all these things, are you still straining and loving Christ? Not that you know, you're, you're at a game and you're pulling out your Bible in front of everyone. No, that, that's not what it is, but the people you're around. Are you being the, the, the jerk and screaming cuss words at the ref? Or are you, or the, when you go to family things, are you loving to people and forgiving? And are you being uh, straining towards Christ in those things? And Paul says, the way I do that is by forgetting and focusing and abiding and straining. And so um, Paul's end-all goal, his ultimate prize is Christ Jesus. So uh, he's talking about the discipline and effort the Christian would obviously put forth if they were truly sold out to Christ and his kingdom. And so here's what people get mixed up in. They they try to sell this idea, and they they, they do talk about all that, and then then they switch it. So I, I, I could do... I could say this, it's very popular, sell out to Christ, be the best husband you can, because I mean, your, your wife, she's going to reward you. You be the best worker in your company, because it's going to feel good, it impresses your co-workers, and you're going to get compensated. Be the best Christian you can. Be the best version of you that you can be, and God will reward you and bless you financially. Uh, sell out to Christ, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Notice all those. Church is saying, you sell out to Jesus, be the best version of you, and in you working and doing that, you get the rewards that you were wanting, these desires. That's making you the God. That's making you and your idols. And Jesus is so dumb that he doesn't see that we, we're, we're, we're doing it, that he goes, man, if you'll do those things, I'll give you all this stuff. And Jesus is just dumb and doesn't realize like you really love the stuff and you're faking your love for him. So do you see the difference there? Like Paul is going just the opposite. And this, this sells in America. This is how they sell Jesus to America. You be your best version of you and God will do all this stuff for you. I, I win in that. That's me, me, me. I, I have what I want. I know what the things I'd like to add to my life. Oh, if I can fake this over here for Jesus, he's going to grant me all those things. That's all about me and my desires. I'm the little God in that little world. And I'm telling you that Paul is saying that's not it at all. No, the God-man Christ alone is worthy. Even without the cross. Without the cross and without a place called heaven or hell. If you took those away, which I believe firmly in the reality of both of those things. But even if there was no heaven to, to look forward to and no hell, if there was not even a cross, just the life he lived, the way he treated people, if we could see that, you'd go, man, I'll follow you. Man, I'll follow you. You're worth it. You're, you're truly the God, man. Again, without those things. But the reality is there is a heaven and a hell. There is the cross. How much more so would we go, if I get this 70 years or 80 years or 40 years or 20 years or 15, why would I want, not want to live with him as the goal? the end-all reward, and I'm straining and striving, not so I can earn my way, but because he's worthy of that. And that's what we want to land on. That's what the kind of people we want to be. And then Paul says, that's the type of community that you should be. He says in 15, let those of us who are mature have that kind of fruit or evidence that that you understand Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And they think that he says that, like, if you're still having problems with earning your way, legalism, self-righteousness, these Judaizers, God will clarify to you. Remember the little white fences? 
Like you, you've been setting up the little fences, little fences, because everyone else is, and they're telling you set up fences. And like, God, God, will make that clear to you. That that's not what is. Hey, there's freedom in Christ. Not freedom to go sin, but freedom enjoying Christ. It's, it's not about your white fences. He's not impressed by that. So God will show that to you. But let us hold true to what we have attained by what He's been given to us. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes closely on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So um, this is a Christ-centered community. Are, are there others that are doing that? Join in me and imitate me, and then those others that you're seeing this type of lifestyle, do that as a community. Be, be uh, Christ-focused, a Christ-centered goal on all of those things for the, the type of community you're in. So in our um, closing, the walkaways, <clears throat> just first of all, uh, do you know Christ? Do you truly know Jesus first? The biblical understanding of Jesus, resting and repentance, resting in your, your faith in, in him, repentance and faith, it's, it's all his work. But then also, are you abiding with Christ in participation with him? Is there any kind of participation in the spirit with, with, with Jesus? Are you experiencing the power of his spirit, victory over sin, enjoyment of God himself, enjoyment of the biblical community? Do you know Jesus in those biblical terms first? And then for the believer, is Christ your treasure? Or are there 10 other greater things than him? And Christianity is just a religion of good morals. You're trying and trying and trying, and it's exhausting trying to keep up. And then for the non-believer, we will all arise from death. We do not go into nothingness or eternal sleep. You need to be reconciled with God, the forgiveness of sins, new life. Um, the people around you, there is a judgment coming. Everyone will resurrect, some to uh, eternal damnation and some to eternal life. So think through that. And then last, are you committed to the community of growth, maturing yourself and maturing others? This is the most popular thing right now as 50 to 60 people leave the church is, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to do these things to be a Christian. You don't have to be a part of that. So all the online experiences and all these things where there's not a body of Christ, there's not participation. A lot of people just don't want anything to do with the body, and it's a lot easier. And after COVID, things have adapted to this. And so, so that's a very selfish thing to go, you know what, me just going sometimes, I may say one sentence in group that, that, that this other person really needed to hear. And it wasn't even necessarily an answer to a question in group that was like a teaching point. But you're invested in people's lives. You're, you're participating with the Spirit and in the community of believers, and, and other people need that. So as Brad comes up, let me pray. 